I'm glad to be here with y'all this morning. Um, I don't get opportunities like this all the time. And so this is truly a gift um, to me. And so I'm going to begin by reading our text, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4, starting in verse 25. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, and rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so that they have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Putting away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and live in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, this has always been a favorite text of mine. Um, As I was reading again in preparation for this morning, um, I was reminded of my wedding. So some of some well, my mom would know, Casey would know, maybe a few of you. Uh, We use this text at our wedding, and it may sound like we pulled this out of context because it is kind of mushy, live a life of love. But I also think that somewhere deep down in both of us, we knew that we would need this text in its fullest within our marriage, that we would need to put away our false self. And to put on this new self we found in Christ. That we would need um, to speak truth to one another. In kindness and in gentleness. But as we read Ephesians, we see you don't have to be married to need this text. You simply have to be in community with others. Paul begins Ephesians with this grand cosmic uh, description of what God is doing in the world, how God's infinite wisdom is coming to fruition in this grand act of reconciling all things and all people to God. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in the church, bringing Jews and Gentiles together under Christ in one body. Christ has become this peace, the mortar for a building uh, that is bringing these two groups together. And contrary to the dominant culture of the time, this peace does not come by a sword. No, Christ's peace comes in the form of being willing to die rather than having people divided among him. And so Christ proclaimed this peace 
And we are now this unified body. And we are to be the witnesses to the rulers and authorities. But let's back up in Ephesians and look at chapter 3. This is where Paul is talking about the importance of his mission to the Gentiles and how that is a part of God's ultimate plan. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might be made known to the rulers and to the authorities and the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. Did you catch that? It is through the church that God's wisdom in its rich variety would be made known to the rulers and to the authorities. God's plan for showing God's power is to say, look at the church. It is supposed to reflect God's varied wisdom and variety. Something you should know about me I am a perfectionist. I like to get things right, and I like to get them right the first time. So texts like these do one of two things to me. I either get this grand vision um, of what God is doing in the world, and um, I think about uh, how things will be in the end. I get these, um, I become kind of nostalgic, I guess you could say, um, but looking forward. I like to call it being a visionary. Uh, but um, the other thing that it can do is I, I can go more what some might call prophetic on my lesser days, maybe self-righteous, but we don't have to go there. Um, I become really hard on myself. If I would just get this right, then things would be, you know, if the church would just do it this way. Then, then, then things would be right. If we could just get it right and do, then God's kingdom would come and God's kingdom would reign here. But really, both of those are two sides of the same coin. That is my need to get it right over God's abounding grace. And so I need this good news this morning. And I think that you do too. Can we start this morning with a little bit of truth-telling, since that's what our text is about? Church is hard. Being the church is hard. And staying in church is hard. We live in a society with disposable everything. Disposable cups, disposable plates, disposable packaging, disposable everything. Things are built to break so that you buy a new one. And things are not built to last. 
and now little effort is put into making things last. We've, we've lost some of those skills. And now it's almost become an instinctual impulse to replace something rather than to mend it or to care for it. And I think our relationships are no exception. I've wondered how uh, living in an increasingly more mobile society has affected our relationships. I am terrible at maintaining friendships over time, especially if we don't live in proximity to each other. It's not intentional. I still love people that I'm not, I don't live near, but I am terrible at maintaining those friendships. I, I don't have the skill set or the... Um, the structure or the rituals embedded in my life to maintain and mend these relationships over time. But I also think being in a more mobile society, it becomes more convenient to avoid conflict, to move on more easily, maybe to a different friend group, maybe to a different church. And like all virtues, without practice, we lose the skills and the internal fortitude it takes to maintain and mend relationships when they inevitably get fractured. But the gospel this morning is not one of getting it right or of shaping up. It's not a prophetic reprimand or a grand vision of some idealistic world. It's a message of encouragement that every effort we make to imitate God's faithfulness, as failed attempt as it may be, to recognize but not be overcome by our anger and our willingness to work hard for the sake of others, when we extend forgiveness, that is God's plan for showing the world what God is like. It's not in getting it right the first time, but being continually formed into the image of Christ. The good news for us this morning is a paradox. It's a mystery. That God's chosen witness to all the rulers and all the authorities of how rich and varied God's wisdom is, is to point to the church, a broken vessel of people with seemingly nothing in common but Christ that holds them together. This church is made up of what I call former Jews and former Gentiles, and they come together and they're putting away falsehood. And they're speaking the truth to each other as neighbors. Did, did you catch that in the text? They're speaking to each other as neighbors, not in the masses. It's to remind us that whatever person we are speaking the truth to is also the person that we are called to love our others just as ourselves. When you get angry, refuse to let it have the last word. When someone has been stealing, we're to work honestly with our hands, Not simply just to provide honest work for ourselves so that we can feel good, but so that we have something to share with those in need. We are people who don't get it right the first time. We're a group of people 
who have to forgive one another just as God has continued to forgive us. And that is the witness to the powers. This is the witness to the powers that groups of people that have seemingly nothing in common but Christ continue to meet together as one body and they speak the truth to each other and they continue to forgive one another. And they recognize that they belong to each other and that they need each other. Paul is telling us it is not our individual display of virtue that is a witness to this power, but it's our communal dynamic. I want to tell you about something called IPR. If you ever meet a chaplain and you use those three letters, they stand for um, interpersonal relationships. If you meet a chaplain and say IPR, you'll, you'll see a face that's kind of a mix between terror and rage. Um, part of my education as a chaplain is um, through clinical pastoral education. It was at Methodist Dallas Medical Center. And we are taught in cohorts. And these cohorts are um, made intentionally as diverse as possible for our learning. <laughs> we learn to dread those words. So we meet for a weekly seminar. Seminar. It's an hour dedicated to uh, conflict resolution, recognizing the things that we are avoiding, and anything that uh, engages our um, group dynamic. The gloves come off. Uh, tempers flared. Tears were shed. Uh, no one held anything back. But it's also during this time that is where the trust was formed. And that's where the most genuine love was experienced. And that's where fear was overcome. You see, in this group, um, I was a part of two groups. One, I was the only Caucasian person in the entire group. I was always the only Church of Christ person. But one time I was the only Caucasian person. And, there, um, and in one of those groups, uh, there was no duplicate... Um, Christian denomination represented. Everyone was from a different perspective. And so we wrestled with each other, and we wrestled with each other's beliefs or the expression of those beliefs, and we made each other stronger. And one of the things I realized was that when someone had a critique of me or my work, it wasn't to hurt me. It was for our collective benefit. And I learned that the conflict that we had doesn't have to end a relationship. And through that, I experienced grace in a way that I never could before because I hadn't put myself out there in that capacity. Someone actually saw all of me, and they challenged that, but they also loved that in me. I gained true brothers and sisters that I never would have encountered had we not had those tough conversations. I didn't learn those things the first week. I didn't learn 
those things in the first month. It took continually committing to telling each other the truth and as neighbors that I gained these brothers and sisters. And it wasn't if we hurt each other, but when we hurt each other. We extended forgiveness to one another. We learned that we had to share the work in ways um, that had been different than we initially started so that the work was shared more equitably. And I experienced the grace of God in ways I hadn't ever before. So this text, I don't know of a more fitting time for it to come up in our life than now. In the vitriolic political theater uh, that we are involved in, in our religious culture wars, in our radically individualistic society, God has called us to be the church, to be a body that actually speaks to each other. And neither God nor Paul is naive. They know that speaking truthfully to each other will not result in a Norman Rockwell painting. That's why he continues his instruction with, um, in your anger, do not sin. So for some of us, we need to actually start telling the truth. We've remained hidden in our church and in our communities. We haven't risked telling the truth yet. We've remained silent in the face of a more dominant perspective when we might have said, no, I I don't believe that. Or, no, I, I read scripture a little differently. For others of us, we have been speaking the truth for a long time. But we haven't been speaking it to our neighbors. We have shouted it from the rooftops, but we haven't spoken to our neighbor, opened ourselves up for feedback to see how uh, the speech that we have affects other people. You'll notice Paul's focus is on speech. He seems to know, possibly from personal experience, the damage that we can do with our speech. He cautions us to choose our speech carefully. To speak the truth, but make sure that your speech will build up the body. Speak the truth, but remember, when you hurt another, you are hurting yourself because we belong to the same body. He isn't naive. He gives us further instruction on anger that is likely going to result from these conversations. Don't sin and don't let this anger have the last word. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's a lot of questions about what does that actually mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? But I've wondered if this is what Paul is getting at. Don't deny the work of the Holy Spirit in another person because they have a different perspective than you. And we've seen this happen. You've seen it where you can't be a Christian and believe this. No Bible-believing Christian can support fill-in-the-blank. I wonder if that's what Paul is getting at when he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Because that Holy Spirit is supposed to be sealed upon us for that day of redemption. And so we're going to give up all the wrangling. We're going to give up the slander. And we're going to be kind to one another. And we're going to live a life of this kind of love. So when our media feeds on hate speech and division, this will be our witness. When religious puppeteers feed the flames of anger, this will be our witness. This will be our witness that we can talk to each other. We don't have to agree, but we will talk to each other and we will love each other and forgive each other. And this may not make the news, but this is good news. And this is the gospel at work in our world. Because we need to be able to talk about difficult things in church. We need to talk about our struggles with depression. The toil it takes to care for our parents. The isolation we feel in our marriage. We need to talk about how we treat our gay friends and our family. We need to talk about poverty about children orphaned by death and drug addiction. We need to talk about abortion. We need to talk about our unsustainable, frenetic lifestyle that is breaking down our families and God's creation. We need to talk about racism and sexism and our rampant consumerism. We need to talk about these things, but not in the abstract, as neighbors. Nothing should be off the table. But let's be honest, we're not going to get these conversations right the first time, or the second time, or the third time. But we've got to keep showing up for each other. We've got to keep telling each other the truth, as neighbors. And we've got to keep forgiving each other. And offering these words of grace. And it is then. Then the church will begin to reflect God's wisdom. In its rich and varied variety that he is. Reconciling all things and all people to God. So may we be imitators of God. As dearly loved children. And live this life of love, just as Christ has loved us. Let us pray. God, you are rich in wisdom and abounding in love. You have called us to speak truthfully to one another in a world that values ratings over relationships. Would you give us the courage and the compassion to speak truthfully to one another? May we trust your Holy Spirit at work in us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Would we trust that you will be that bond that holds us together during difficult conversations? And may we trust that in these acts of forgiveness, in our effort to imitate your truth-telling, that you would be present with us and that we would be a witness to the world.